We're going to jump back into the Gospel of Mark today. Uh, now, preachers often use our text this morning uh, to focus primarily on marriage and divorce. But that is not Jesus' intent. It's not. Jesus is not giving us here a lecture on marriage and divorce. No. He is using a conversation about marriage and divorce to present His wondrous vision of His glorious kingdom. You see? So He's using a conversation about marriage and divorce to present the wonders of His kingdom. So let's dive in together and see just how incredible this kingdom really is. Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there now. These verses should be in your bulletin. Uh, but this is, we're going to look at verse, verses 1 through 16 of Mark chapter 10. Verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. As was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. And do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word. For these incredible words today that come from the word, your son. What a blessing both words are to us. The written word and the living word of your son. We're humbled by them both today. And we ask in humility that both words, both words would touch our hearts today. That we might be able to see a clear vision of your son and a clear vision of his wondrous kingdom that he has called us to. 
this morning. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so there is a ton that could be said here. And so uh, in order to keep me from preaching an hour and a half, I'm not going to hit everything in this text. There's a ton in here. Uh, So what I'm going to do is kind of hit three overarching points. Okay, three overarching points. Just kind of boil this whole thing down to three overarching points. Number one, following the Christ. Point number one, following the Christ. Jesus has an incredibly radical vision of himself. If you don't believe me, read through the Gospel of Mark this week. Just read read straight through it and see what you think about Jesus' vision for himself. It's pretty radical. He says things in the Gospels like, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And that no one comes to the Father but by me. He tells to anyone who would listen that he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He said that he was alive before Abraham. And he says he's here to change the world. These are radical statements. He has a radical vision of himself regarding himself. But he lays out an equally radical, yet simple, strategy for how he is going to change the world. Equally radical and equally simple. And here it is. Are you ready? Here's how he's going to change the world. Come on in, guys. Yeah, y'all come on in. So Jesus has a radical vision for himself. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the only way and the only truth that exists. But what is he going to do now that he's here? And it's really simple. Here's what he's going to do. He is going to tell sinners and failures and screw-ups like you and like me to follow him. And that's it. That's it. That's Jesus' plan. He's <laughs> going to tell sinners to follow him. That's it. And then he'll change the world through sinners following him. That's it. Now, this seems really wild and maybe odd at first. But when you think about it, it actually makes perfect sense. It actually makes perfect sense. What better way to prove that Jesus really is the divine king of the universe than to use people like us to change the world? We've often overcomplicated discipleship in the church. Discipleship is simply following Jesus. And that's it. That's all that discipleship is. Nothing more and nothing less. You follow him. 
And along the way, you sin and fail and fall, and he loves you. And he picks you up and he dusts you off, and he smiles at you and he encourages you, and he strengthens you and he teaches you, and he forgives with you, and he walks hand in hand with you along the journey. That's what following him means. That's it. And that's all discipleship is. I have thrown away all of my discipleship books. Almost all of them, I've thrown them away. And I had a ton of them. About 10 years ago, I got like really obsessed with, quote, discipleship. Discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And I got all the books I could get about discipleship. And recently, I threw almost all of them away. Why? Because too often the church uses the word discipleship to refer to the skill of being a disciple. You see? To how well you're following Jesus. But Jesus did not say, follow me well. Did he? No. What did he say? Follow me, period. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You're not following him well. I mean, I hate to break that to you. This may be shocking news, but you're not following him well. And neither am I. <laughs> I'm not a good follower of Jesus, but I am following <laughs> Not doing just a wonderful job at it, but I am following, and you are too. We're not doing super duper well at it, and thank goodness Jesus didn't tell us to do super duper well at it. He just said, follow. Just follow. If the requirement was we had to be super duper awesome at following, then he would have kicked all 12 of his disciples out in the first week. They would have been gone. Just read the Gospels. I mean, here we are in, in Mark's gospel. The disciples have been with him for years now, and they still have no clue what's going on. They don't know Jesus. They don't know his heart, and they don't know why he came. They are not following him well. But they are following. <laughs> they are following him. And he does love them very much. And he loves you very much. And so we see what he does with his disciples as they follow him very poorly. <laughs> he teaches them. He encourages them. He loves them. He rebukes them when needed. Oh, but he cherishes them. And he loves them. Just as he does me. And just as he does you. And so I've thrown all my discipleship books away. You see, we're too worried about the skill of following Jesus. It's disciple craft, if you will. We're worried about the art of following Jesus. That's what all the books are about. They're about the art of following Jesus. But why are we talking about that when Jesus never did? Why don't we just talk simply about following him? Period, and nothing else. Just follow. 
Or to speak more literally, the Greek word methetes is the biblical word for disciple. And it's where we get the word mathematics. It's where we get the word mathematics. The word means knowledge. That's what it means. That's what it's about. So why not just talk about learning from Christ? That's what the word means. Just talk about learning from Christ. Just talk about sitting at his feet and learning. Not the craft of learning. The art of learning. No. Just the learning itself. Just sitting at his feet and listening. We shouldn't be interested in the craft or the art of learning from Jesus. We should just be interested in learning from Jesus, period. Because let's think about it and let's be honest. We could study the craft of discipleship all we want. We could be extremely knowledgeable about the art of discipleship and never actually be a disciple. You could check every one of the discipleship boxes and split hell wide open when you die. I mean, just look at the Pharisees for a great example. They checked all the boxes. They did. And Jesus said their father was the devil. So they were experts at the art of discipleship, but weren't actually disciples. They weren't actually following Jesus. They weren't. So let's just learn from Jesus, shall we? <laughs> nothing more, nothing less. And what shall we learn from him in our text today? Well, it's important to understand again, like I said at the beginning, that this is not primarily a teaching on marriage and divorce, though we can learn things about it for sure. But it's not primarily about that. Jesus is using the issue of marriage and divorce to teach us something way more profound. And what is that? Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see, it's not enough to just hear Jesus preach. Just to hear Jesus teach. The Pharisees heard Jesus teach all the time. And again, their father was the devil. So just having Jesus' words enter your ears is not enough. No. Jesus is saying this about the listening. He's saying you must listen as a little child. You must come to him as a little child with nothing to offer, with nothing to contribute to the conversation. You must come with complete dependence and nothing else. You see, the Pharisees had a lot to say, did they not? We see them barking back at Jesus here in our text. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how it's done. I'm the king and you're not. It's my job to speak and it's your job to listen. I do not want you to come to me with anything but complete and total dependence upon me. 
And so, Jesus' overarching teacher, teaching here is about dependence, complete dependence upon him. And now he uses marriage to do that. And he is saying here that marriage, marriage is so sacred and so powerful and so special in the eyes of God that our comprehension of it is like a child trying to understand quantum physics. That's essentially Jesus' point to the Pharisees is you guys don't get it. You don't get it. You're arguing with the creator of marriage. You're barking back at the creator of marriage. And it's like a little child arguing about quantum physics. How about instead of arguing about it, you just keep your mouth closed and listen. You see, the things of God are way, way above us. They're far, far above us. And we cannot understand them. Just trying to argue and philosophize about it. We must listen to Jesus. We don't understand Jesus' sex ethic. We don't get it. We don't get it. We don't understand. Why can we have sex before marriage? That makes no sense. Why can't we just divorce our spouse anytime we want to? I don't get that. I mean, she's getting on my nerves. Why can't I just say goodbye, find somebody else? She's not making me happy anymore. Why can't I just move on? This makes no sense, Jesus. And so we're like the Pharisees and we just bark and we bark and we argue and we wonder what's going on here, Jesus. And so what that does is it forces us to reject Jesus' teaching outright. We just reject it. And many in our society have, especially Jesus' sex ethic. We just say, no, not right. That can't be true. And we just outright reject it or we are forced to simply trust what Jesus says. Because what he says is too far above us. And so we must take it in just like a little child and trust what he says. Now, there's a great book that was written recently. I showed our teenagers uh, the book. I highly recommend it uh, for our teenagers if they would like to read it. I think it'd, it'd be pretty cool. It's written by a, a female Christian uh, rapper. She's actually a really, really gifted rapper. She's got a podcast. It's really super popular uh, in the Christian world. And the book she wrote is called Gay Girl, Good God. Gay Girl, Good God. In the book, she explains that she's always been attracted to females. Always, since she can remember. She's always been attracted to females. And when she encountered Christianity, she obviously struggled with Jesus' sex ethic. She did. It made her mad and frustrated. And she started barking back and arguing about Jesus' sex ethic. But the more she read about Jesus and learned from him and followed him, she came to see that he is a person she can trust. 
a person so full of grace and compassion and intelligence and power that he should be trusted. In fact, she felt foolish for not trusting a person like that. And so, she made the decision to trust Jesus with her sex life, even though her attractions have never changed. She is married to a man, and she is now pregnant with, I think, their third child because she trusted Jesus. She doesn't understand everything. She doesn't get why she's attracted to females. She doesn't get why this is the way that it is. And so she says, I really have no choice. Either I reject this outright or I come as a little child and just say, okay. Okay. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I trust you. I trust you, the man full of grace and truth. And so that's point number one about following the Christ. We follow like a little child with nothing to offer. Number two, point number two is living in the kingdom. Living in the kingdom. At this time in Jewish history, there were two schools of thought on divorce. Two schools. There was the liberal school of thought which interpreted Moses' teaching on divorce to mean that you could get a divorce for any reason at all. Any reason at all. If a husband didn't like his wife's cooking, then boom, she's gone. Get a divorce. And that was fine. That's the liberal school. The conservative school said no. They interpreted Moses' teaching to be referring to sexual indiscretion only. Not any old thing that she could possibly do wrong, but sexual indiscretion only. And so that was the difference. Lots of people were arguing about this in the first century. The Pharisees certainly were arguing about it all the time. But it's important to see that the Pharisees here in our story this morning are not really interested in that argument. They don't really care about that argument at this point in time. They don't care what Jesus' understanding of Moses is really. No. They were trying to test him. Did you notice that? Verse number two. Some Pharisees came and tested him by saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? See, what they're trying to do is trap Jesus. That's their concern here. They're not really concerned about the marriage thing. You see, they were hoping to get Jesus in trouble with King Herod. That's what they were trying to do. Because King Herod was a sexually vile individual, <laughs> to say the least. And they knew that Herod has already killed John the Baptist for opposing his sexual practices. So maybe if Jesus has a slip of the tongue and says something negative about the sexual practices that are similar to what Herod's doing, then we can get word to Herod, and then maybe he can kill Jesus. And then we can finally be rid of Jesus once and for all. But notice, Jesus knows exactly what they're doing. <laughs> and he doesn't go there. He does not engage them in that argument. He doesn't take the bait. 
Why? It's not because he's afraid of Herod. It's not because he's afraid to die. Dying is the reason he came. And it's not because he doesn't have a position on the issue. It's because they were having the wrong conversation. And they're pulling his disciples and the crowds into the wrong conversation. They were having the wrong debate. You see, the Pharisees were living in the old world. The old domain of sin. The old kingdom of sin. But Jesus has come to bring an entirely new kingdom to the world. And he wants to have conversations about that. He does not want to have conversations about the old world. He's saying, y'all don't even get it. I've brought a new kingdom. I am the king of a brand new kingdom. Let's talk about that. That's what I want to engage you with. Not the old arguments of the old domain. I'm bringing a new kingdom and you're worried about loopholes to get out of your marriage. You're looking for loopholes to get out of your marriage while something extraordinary is happening before your very eyes. A new kingdom has dawned and you're worried about loopholes. A new kingdom has come. A new king has come. That's probably what you should be concerned about. Now, you and I are not that much different than the Pharisees. Or the people of the first century. We're not. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. We're not very much different than these folks or the people in Moses' day. We often have very hard hearts. We worry and debate and argue about so many ridiculous things. Things that belong to the old domain. The old kingdom. The old sinful world. We argue, we're concerned, we're worried. We waste so much breath talking about it. While something extraordinary is going on all around us. <laughs> all around us. Jesus is building and advancing his kingdom on the earth. Every second of every day. And that kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. And we're worried about loopholes. We're worried about Fox News. We're worried about CNN. We're still stuck in the old story. And Jesus says, but I'm writing a new story. And you're a key character. What if you focused on this new story instead? Jesus is telling us that we're li living well below the standards of the story that he's writing. Y'all are worried what's going on down in the muck here when I've called you to the clouds. We think, you know, we're just kind of eking our way through this mundane and pain-filled life when we're actually key characters 
in the Lord of the Rings saga. What a story we are a part of. A grand story. In fact, it's the grandest of them all. And we're worried about loopholes in the muck. I mean, just look at how Jesus responds to this debate in verse 6. Look at what he says. This is amazing. <laughs> Did you catch this? Look at how he responds. He says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. You see, the, the Pharisees are telling a small story. A very short-sighted story. And Jesus responds to that by saying, Once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created male and female. In his own image. Jesus responds to their small story with the greatest story, with the real story that we're in. The story we're actually in is far grander than the one we're telling ourselves and the one we're constantly arguing about. We're arguing about a story we're not even a part of anymore. We have been transferred from that old kingdom to a brand new kingdom. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Why are we still worried about the kingdom of darkness? When we're in such a grand story. And such a grand tale as this one. And so what is Jesus saying about marriage here? Think about it. By tying it to Genesis 1, he is saying that marriage is on a scale that you cannot fathom. Marriage is more profound than you have ever dreamed, than you've ever thought about. Marriage, in fact, was there right at the beginning of the whole story. The Bible begins with a marriage, that's the way it begins. This is no flippant thing. Two people become one flesh. Think about that. <laughs> that is crazy profound. That when God looks at these two people, he sees one person. That is profound. It's more profound than you could ever dream. It's certainly more profound than the Pharisees seem to think. Marriage is one of God's best and most important gifts, and y'all are worried about loopholes to get out of it. Marriage is so much more profound than you think. In fact, it's more profound on two levels. That's just one level that we just mentioned. Between a man and a woman. But let's go to the next level. Which brings us to point number three. We'll close with this. Point number three. Marrying the king. 
marrying the king. There's a popular wedding song I have sung in so many weddings. If I die and never have to sing in another wedding, I'll die a happy, happy man. Glad to preach weddings, but I'm just sick and tired of playing and singing at weddings. I've sung at dozens and dozens and dozens of these things, and I'm just sick of it. No offense, but I'm just, uh, I'm tired of it. And one wedding song that I sang is by uh, Dan Ogleberg. Somebody had me sing this song a long time ago. And uh, the, the lyrics in the song, part of the lyrics are this. Dan writes this. Longer than there have been fish in the ocean. Higher than any bird ever flew. Longer than there have been stars in the heavens. I have been in love with you. Now, these types of lyrics move us deeply when we're young. We have such high hopes for the future, for our love lives. We just know we're going to get caught up in a real-life fairy tale with the person of our dreams. But as we get older, there's those lyrics don't, they don't hit as hard as they did when we were young. Experience teaches us to roll our eyes at lyrics like these. <laughs> no one really loves us like that. Give me a break. These songs are overly poetic and hyperbolic. Let's just give me a break. <laughs> this is overly hyperbolic. Just come on now. Years of heartache in relationships and marriages have taught us that even though we may love our spouses or love our girlfriends or boyfriends, experience has taught us that relationships are stinking hard. Like really crazy hard and painful a lot of the time. They are. They're anything but a fairy tale. And the disciples agree. You see, in Matthew's telling of this story, in his gospel, the disciples respond to Jesus' teaching on marriage by saying, well, I guess it's better to stay single then. I guess it's better to stay single. You see, the disciples are like us. They're jaded. <laughs> they know the world is broken. They know that relationships are stinking hard. And they see this idealistic view of marriage as impossible and divorce as inevitable. So they're like, give me a break, Jesus. I'll just stay single. They don't think there's any chance they can be intimate with someone in the way Jesus is talking about. It can't be that great. It can't be put on a scale like that, Jesus. But Jesus is telling them, and he's telling you and me, that you're still telling yourself the wrong story. You're still stuck in the old kingdom and telling old kingdom stories and old kingdom truths. But I have come to make all things new. 
I have come to bring a new kingdom, an entirely different system. I have come to change and remake and restore and renew the world. You're not in the old kingdom anymore. You think you are, but you're not. I have come with a fairy tale that's true. I've come to pull you in to a grand story that's a true story. You see, when Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, the very famous passage in Ephesians 5, do you know that he quotes the exact same verses Jesus quotes here? He does the same thing. He quotes exactly the verses that Jesus did. And then he says this, quote, this is a profound mystery that I, Paul, and talking about Christ and the church, end quote. Now that is profound. What does he mean? How could Paul's teaching on real life, real world marriage also mean that he's talking about Christ and the church? Well, Paul is saying that Jesus is not just teaching us about marriage. He's teaching us that marriage itself is a window into which we can see ultimate reality. Marriage itself is a window into which we can peer to see the gospel. You see, the Bible not only starts with a wedding, it also ends with one too. It starts with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. Revelation 19 says this, let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready Fine linen, bright and clean, has been given to her to wear. Do you see? Believer, yes, Jesus is the king and you are his servant. Yes. And yes, Jesus is the father and you are his child. Yes. But also, also, Jesus is the bridegroom, and you are his bride. That is also true. And that is a truth we too often forget. That we are married to the king. He's not just our king. He's not just our friend. He's not just our father. He is our bridegroom. He is our bridegroom. How is this possible? How could sinners and failures and screw-ups like us be Jesus' bridegroom? Or be Jesus' bride? Well, it's because. With Jesus, Dan Ogleberg's song lyrics are not hyperbolic. 
They're not. They are true. And they've always been literally true. Longer than there have been fish in the ocean. Higher than any bird ever flew. Longer than there have been stars in the heavens. I have been in love with you. It's hyperbole to us if we say it, but it's not hyperbole when Jesus says it. That's actually, literally true. Jesus was in love with you before he created the universe, and he had designs on making you his bride. And he planned to lay down his life for you. Before he created anything else, he planned to die for you, for your sins, to make you his forever so that you could have clean and bright garments to wear on your wedding day. He has made it so. And he has made it so that the new kingdom you are in where yes, you will sin and you will fail in your relationships and in your marriages. Join the club. Guilty party number one. But guess what all those sins in your marriages are washed in? The blood of the bridegroom. You're clean. <laughs> you don't think you're clean. You think you've messed your relationships up. You think you've messed your marriages up beyond repair. And you're, it's not. You're telling yourself the old story. That's the old kingdom. Jesus has brought a new kingdom where he has made all things new. You haven't messed anything up. You can't mess it up. You can't. Your bridegroom died to make sure you can't mess it up. To make sure that he will turn the ashes of your relationships or marriages into beauty. He turns beauty to ash, ashes to beauty. He turns ashes to beauty and he always will. So, when you're tempted to get caught up in the mundane or painful stories of this world, remind yourself that that's not your story anymore. Jesus has brought you into his story. The greatest love story ever told. That also just so happens to be true 